This is Reinvented. I'm Chris Bordoni, and this show is about the art and science of transformation. In season one of Reinvented, we're exploring what happens when adversity strikes. From finding new sources of strength, to rethinking your identity, and far beyond. Today I speak with one of my oldest friends, Jenny Wu. Now, I wanted to speak with Jenny because she has done more in the first 15 years of her career than anyone else that I know. She has done more than most of us will do in a lifetime. And at the same time, she's also had some tremendous failures in her career. And so today we talk about some of her biggest setbacks, talk about what she learned in the process, and we explore the idea of how each of us can make better decisions both in our career and in our personal life. Uh, Jenny, let me start by saying this. You are uh, one of my oldest friends. You are someone we worked together, what, 15 years ago, starting about 15 years ago. I've stayed in touch. Yeah. Um, someone that I looked up to, been been good friends since then. Uh, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Thanks for coming on here. This is going to be a, a ton of fun. Um, and thanks for being brave enough to come on and talk about your career and some of your failures and some of the challenges that you've had in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I I love talking about failure. <laughs> let me Let me start by saying this. You might have the most millennial career of anyone that I know. <laughs> what and does what that I've, even mean? <laughs> <laughs> you've, I feel like you've done everything at age 30, 36, 37, right? So you were an investment banker. You've been a consultant more than once. You were a venture capitalist. You co-founded a business. You were a CEO of a business. You were a chief product officer. And now you work in the social sector. That's like 10 different careers. Yeah, yeah, I had never thought about it that way. Um, it was definitely not intentional. Um, but yeah, I kind of, uh, as I'd like to say, I failed my way up. <laughs> uh, that's, an ama- that's an amazing phrase. I feel like I'm, it's actually like a, a really interesting place to start because when we were, I was 22 years old, we first started working together, we were at Deloitte. Um, and I remember you were, you were sort of senior to me on our first project and you were like an amazing mentor to me. And I remember very vividly, you said to me at one point, if you're not failing 90% of the time, you're not trying hard enough. Hmm. And I don't know if you remember saying that to me, um, but I'm curious, like, yeah, do you remember that? But more importantly, like, do you still believe that? Is that still true in your mind? Yes, I, I, I do think that. Um, not because it feels good or it feels comfortable, but for some reason... I have grown up feeling conditioned that failing feels like growth and growth feels like progress to me. And so um, I actually get more nervous when things are going well or when I'm you know, not uh, progressing as much as I'd like to. So I, I do believe that I've probably you know, tempered on that um, over the years. But I, d- I do think I'm the kind of person that over the course of my career has sought out really challenging problems to solve and failed at pretty much all of them. <laughs> so that's, that's really fascinating. Where did that come from? Like, where does that feeling of like, if I'm not being pushed, if I'm not stretching myself, then I'm not trying hard enough, I'm not doing the right thing. Like, where did that come from for you? So first of all, that stems from an immigrant mentality. Um, my family and I emigrated from China when I was five. You know, my, my parents, just like most immigrants, worked extremely hard and sacrificed a lot um, to give me the opportunities that I have. Um, and it's just something ingrained in you that, that there is something really uh, worthwhile in the struggle. Like if you're not struggling, it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's taken me a long time to um, be okay that I don't have to struggle all the time, that that struggling feeling doesn't have to be the default. It's interesting though, because like I feel like the struggle could go in two different directions. Like there's, there's struggle as a risk taker. And like, obviously, if you if you immigrate, emigrate, like, you know, you're taking a tremendous risk, like leaving family connections, support, et cetera, behind. But I also feel like a lot of times it plays out in like, like working really hard, but but in very traditional ways, like playing it safe. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know, Italian Americans, like there's certain professions that they moved up in, et cetera. And like you work really hard, you study, et cetera. But like you're not necessarily 
taking risks. Although I would say historically, like there was lots of paths that weren't open and still aren't open to certain immigrants. And so you did have to take risks. Like you did have to start a shoe repair store or a grocery store like my grandparents did, et cetera. Right. Right. So I, I guess, but like for you, it sounds like some of that has looked more like taking risks, not just working hard, but there's like a risk seeking element in it as well. Is that how it's felt for you? Well, I think it, that's the struggle paired with the rebellion, right? Okay. So just to get real deep on my, uh, my own, you know, um, issues growing up, I think having traditional Asian tiger parents, um, meant that, and, you know, paired with me, who is a really rebellious child meant that, um, I had a lot of issues with authority. Um, I had a lot of issues with taking the traditional path. And I just always wanted to find other ways to be successful and prove my parents wrong. Interesting. Um, and I think I and I think I always had um, a really strong inner compass that, you know, working in a big corporate environment, at least at the time when I was in banking and we were in consulting that it just didn't feel right. And there, there had to be something different that allowed me to be, be, have like monetary success plus self-fulfillment. Um, and that had to exist in the world. Yeah. And that's something that I think has really driven a lot of my career choices to find that. Um, it was not a given, you know, uh, just like you said, um, I think the immigrant mentality promotes a work ethic, but very traditional choices. Yeah. So I wanted to find the untraditional choice where I was happy and successful. Got it. Got it. And so when you think about like the different stops on your career, do you feel like, like what's led you from one thing to the next, right? Like, has it been that searching of like, okay, let me go try this thing. And then you try it and you're like, okay, it's not consulting. What's next? And so you try the next thing and you realize that that's not it either. And so you're like, just sort of like punching your ticket, trying to find more things, like trying to find the right thing. Or has it been, has it been different? Like what's been moving you along that, that path in your life? Uh, getting fired or getting laid off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of the any of the choices have been really that deliberate at the time. Um, okay. I think when you look back, um, just like Steve Jobs said, you know, you can connect the dots looking backwards. I think people always like overcorrect for the things they didn't like in the previous thing, right? Yeah. And it's just driven by like whatever's happening in your life at the time. Because I founded a company which failed. Um, I knew that I didn't want to do that again for a while. Hmm. And it's taken me actually a long time to feel like I could do that again, even though I have very much a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies. But I've always been attracted to new challenges and things that are different. Um, and I think that's partially what's um, driven me forward is the idea of taking on something new, taking on something that I didn't have experience with, whether it's like turning around a, a fledgling um, lingerie startup or working on a 3D virtual fitting room you know, technology um, to building fitness videos. I mean, it, it's, there hasn't been a deliberate effort at all, except, huh, that's thing, that, that seems different. Um, and I think over the years, what I've gotten better at is to be, is to articulate the trends that I've seen of what I like and what is good for me, um, and what makes me successful in certain environments. And I've tried to apply that to my next job search. So I would say only in the past, you know, couple of years have I been super thoughtful about my next thing. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to ask you is like, do you do you find for you that like having more data points gives you better insight into what you like, jobs that you might not like? Like, because, you know, there's you're probably fortunate to have lots of different opportunities, like especially in the startup world. And we should talk about this, like even when you fail in that world, like sometimes that's seen as a good thing. It's a badge of honor and you get more opportunities because of the company that you you, you founded that didn't go anywhere. 
But then do you find that like, because you've had more opportunities, because you've done things for a shorter time than most people, like, do you find that it's made it easier for you to say, you know what, like, I've kind of seen this movie before, like, there's something about this that I just know isn't going to be good for me. Therefore, let me like keep searching or find something else, etc. Exactly. Yeah, I, I have found that people who try to imagine the next gig or like, plan out their five year plan or something, it, it rarely works, because you just, there's so much about a job that you just don't know until you get there how it's going yeah. to feel. And a lot of that's like the specific dynamics of the culture or the particular politics of, of the group you're working with. Um, you know, people leaving. Like there's so many variables that it's it's really hard to imagine unless you've you've seen it a lot of times before. And so when people ask me, you know, should I take this job or go into that industry? All of those theoretical paths feel really, you know, it just feels very abstract to me because the truth is you could do anything. You could, you could take any job in any industry and your dream job could be something that you could have never imagined. Yeah. I know. I, I think like, I feel like a lot of people, especially people who have similar backgrounds to you and I, like fall into the trap of over intellectualizing things, like trying to imagine to your point, like what is some experience going to be like? But like, yeah, these experiences are so complex that you can't really say, right? Like you, you, you might, everything about it might look terrible on paper, but if you love the people that you work with, or it turns out something cool happens and you get to work on a really interesting challenge, like that could be the best experience of your life. Right. Yeah. And we saw this all the time with projects where it was like, okay, this project looks like it's going to be like fantastic. And then it's not, or it looks like, like you're really mad that you got staffed on it. And then it turns out like, oh, that was actually a really good experience or it was the experience that I needed in that moment. And, and you just like, couldn't really know that from the outside looking in. Well, I think it's, it's, I'm curious your take on it, but I feel like it's because people who are like us, who, you know, um, perhaps in their mind have done everything right. Um, they're scared to make the wrong decision. And I don't know why, because that just means like if it was the wrong decision, they're scared of quitting too early. And so this goes back to this idea of failures. If I make the wrong decision and I hate this job, when is it okay for me to call it and cut Mm -hmm. my losses? And I feel like there's so much hemming and hawing beforehand because for some reason, whether it's status or it's perception or money or this and that, people just don't quit things early enough. <laughs> yeah, I think that is oftentimes true. Um, I mean, there's a downside to quitting too much, right? Like we can talk about what what that looks like. And I think some of that's obvious, but I think you're right. I think people stay in jobs like 50% too long, pretty consistently. Right? Yeah. And I'm like pulling that number out of, out of nowhere, but it kind of feels like that. It's like someone stays in a job for three years and like they really knew at two years that it wasn't the right job. It was a dead end or that it was making them unhappy. And yet they stay in that because of all the things you're talking about, like all those fears. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do feel like, I don't know, this is an interesting conversation because I feel like it depends on what world you're living in. Like if you're in the very corporate world, very traditional, like I lived in the Midwest, was working out there and like there just was different norms around how much you should move around, gaps in your resume, what it should look like, right? And then I came somewhere like DC where it's like a much more transient place. It turns over obviously every four to eight years. Like so many things about it are different and people don't care. People don't care that like you're a freelancer, you have gaps in your resume and like you've worked in the Bay Area, you've worked in the New York startup scene, like you've lived in that world. And so I, I think there is sort of almost like a different set of rules or different set of expectations around sticking around or leaving, right? And in one world, it's like great to say, yep, like not a good fit for me and for here's why. In another world, it's like, man, if you can't tough it out, like you're you're just not cut out for corporate America or whatever it is and like we don't want to work with you. Yeah, do you think that's an industry thing or a geographical thing? I feel like it's a combination of those things, right? Like I've seen like some, some cities, some parts of the country seem to be more conservative. Some of that t- is tied, I think, to industry as well, right? Like what type of work it is that you do. Like politics is one example. Like people are bouncing off campaigns. Like that sort of stuff is just part of the deal. Versus if you work in like a, you know, a very B2B type sector where it's like all about long-term relationships, et cetera, like that sort of stuff is frowned upon, right? So I think it's like a whole bunch of different things. So, I mean, I do feel grateful to be in an industry where failure is not stigmatized. Yeah. Um, It's often glorified, which is like, a whole other issue. Um, but 
I think as a millennial, <laughs> I would say to those Midwest big corporate B2B companies, there are a lot of structural things that make a long-term job really hard. There's, there's so many things going against us uh, in this generation that it feels really difficult to expect that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's less loyalty to companies because there's less benefits. And then there's this added topic I think we're talking about, which is a lot of the way that people advance is actually by changing jobs. So there's research that shows, you know, if you want a title bump, a salary bump, it's just much harder to stay at your current gig and tough it out and and work for it than to find another job somewhere else that is willing to take you to the next level. Yeah, and I think that's like that's such an important point because I think that's where the narrative and like what we what we grew up hearing like doesn't match the reality in the market anymore, right? Right. There's like there's some I was reading something really interesting about how the period from 1945, the end of World War II, until like the mid 1980s was a complete aberration in history because the U.S. had wiped out basically, or the entire world's manufacturing capacity had been wiped out except for in this country, right? Right. And so in this country, like you just had a couple generations there of continued growth, taking care of everyone, long-term employment at organizations, like all these things that are not sort of the norm, they were like a, an aberration as a result of this, this war. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, like so interesting that that's where I think a lot of these narratives came from about loyalty and staying in your job and put your, put your head down, do hard work, you'll get promoted, all that sort of stuff. And then like, obviously this has been talked about endlessly, but you have all the things starting in the eighties around competition, globalization, automation, AI, like all the things are happening now. And like that narrative just doesn't match the reality anymore. And so it's interesting that the data start to, to look like what you're talking about, where, you, you know, if you're rational and you're looking out for your career, like it might be, might make a lot more sense for you to actually do what looks like bouncing around because the benefits are so much greater. Let's go back and talk about your failures. <laughs> Let's just put you, put you on the spot. Um, I'm really curious, what would you say are like the, the couple really big ones in your mind? Like the, the points in your career, it was like, yeah, that really didn't go that well for me. Sure. I remember this, the pivotal ones like pretty vividly. For my investment banking internship, I had been a night analyst um, there over the course of my junior year of college, worked through the summer, um, and then was not offered a full-time analyst position, mostly due to uh, some team sabotage. (laughs) Yikes. Um, Just because it was, it's just, it's such a miserable culture that, you know, people's exhaustion turns into to bitterness and, you know, and, but it was also because I had a bad attitude. Um, Mm. I really didn't like being there and that was obvious. So it was the right decision, but it definitely left me feeling really lost because I thought that if you work really hard, even if you didn't love your job, (laughs) you should get something out of it. Yeah. Um, and there was nothing wrong with my performance, you know, um, I could do the job and I worked banker hours, but it just didn't amount to anything. The next one I think was having to wind down my own startup. So that was after, you know, a two year roller coaster of daily highs and lows that comes with, you know, going through, um, a fledgling startup. And it was, I would say the most that I've learned in any two year period in my entire career. Really? Absolutely. Having to be a founder, you have to learn so much in such a short period of time and you just have to figure it out. And it was thrilling. It was adrenaline filled. It was very growthful. Um, and the highs were super high and the lows were very low. Yeah. And, and walking away from that was, was very hard. And I would say, I didn't realize it then, but it really did affect me for a lot longer than I realized. I don't want to interrupt, but like even just on these two examples alone, like how much did you feel like you, you recognize these things in the moment? Like, Hey, like it's my bad attitude that's getting in the way here. Like, you know, like, okay, like it's kind of reasonable that maybe I wouldn't get an offer or like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a lot, like, because I'm winding down this company that I was like all in on, 
but I'm learning a lot. This has been a great experience. Like, did you feel like in the moment you had that maturity or that space to have those realizations or were you like angry and frustrated and disillusioned and all those things in the moment? It's only like with time that you can actually say that. In the moment, you're just despondent. (laughs) Um, You know, I think the next failure I remember after that is um, getting laid off from a San Francisco-based startup after our CEO got fired from the board for being a sociopath, um, like an actual clinical sociopath. And I got laid off, uh, kicked out of my apartment, um, and got dumped by my boyfriend all in like the same you know, week. And it was terrible. And for those early, for, for kind of those early failures, what I, what I now, you know, notice about them is, is they felt really awful at the time, mostly because I was attributing those failures to me failing personally and, and to me being a failure. And so one of the turning points after that last episode was I had a few people close to me who had done Landmark, mm-hmm. which I know some people think is a cult. Um, what is, me- let's pause on that. What is, what is Landmark for people who aren't, haven't heard of it? So Landmark is um, a program that is uh, kind of a series of weekend seminars and other workshops um, that for me is like accelerated therapy. Okay. It helps you come to terms with whatever it is you're dealing with, kind of unblock your life, helps kind of you get out of your own way so that you can achieve what you want. Um, and they don't do any marketing. Um, and, you know, it just, it's, it seems very culty. Um, but I had a few people in my life who had done it. And I finally decided it was time to do it. Okay. And after my first weekend, it was the first time that I was able to differentiate my failures from me being a failure. So it became, you know, I failed at these things and it was not, I am a failure. And that was a really big turning point for me. How do they, how do they do that? Like, do they just, do they just sit down and like basically say, Jenny, like, let's be really clear. Like, these are your failures and this is you. And like, it's not the same thing. Like, is it, is it as straightforward as that? Or is it like actually a series of more clever exercises that gets you there? It's, it really is like accelerated therapy. It forces you to look backwards at why you might think those things. Yeah. Um, and for me, a lot of it has to, you know, it, it, it just inevitably stems from my tiger child upbringing, being a constant disappointment to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you grow up feeling that and being expected to do all these things, whether it's getting to the right school or, you know, join the right clubs and, and, you know, uh, study all the time, you know, you start to think that if you don't meet these things, that you don't deserve love. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To an extent, I really believe I grew up thinking that love was conditional. Yeah. And so part of the reason why I enjoyed the struggle a little too much was because I was used to being in a position where I had to prove myself. Okay. Because I was always doing that with my parents and I felt like proving myself was the only way that I could feel like I was worthy. Yeah. I mean, not to get super deep on my own psychoanalysis, but like that's kind of what it was. Yeah. And so once I, once I confronted that and, and accepted that like, my parents did love me unconditionally and this was just the only way they knew how to raise a child. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to start to separate, you know, the things that had happened to me, um, a lot of which were not in my control um, from my own self-worth. And, and that, that's when things started to change a little more. 
Yeah, because as you're talking and like you you kind of rattle off a string of of failures, like I can imagine that a lot of people, myself included, would get to a point where you would start to doubt yourself mm-hmm. and you start to say like, okay, like I'm, you know, like this is this is tough. Like I keep trying, I'm stretching, I I'm I'm taking huge risks, but it's like not working out. So like maybe I'll just take it easy and do something safe for a while. Right. But it sounds like you kind of had that in that moment, like you did landmark, you had these experiences and like, I- I'm filling in blanks here, but that like rejuvenated you, that gave you like the confidence to go on and have to continue to do risky things and, and put yourself out there. It also just reframed the narrative. It reframed the way that I looked at my experiences. So instead of seeing them as a series of failures, I realized that after every failure, the next opportunity I got, whatever I did, was better. Mm. You know, was objectively a better opportunity, a step up, um, better for me personally. Um, And that's not something that I appreciated when I was only focused on the negative. Yeah. So let's, I want to stay with that because I've, I've noticed something similar in my own life where, um, I've had, you know, a lot of physical setbacks and challenges, had to leave jobs because of it, et cetera. And I found for me, it's actually really hard to separate out those like failures, things that look like failures, like you, you had to leave a job, um, with my successes, like, because a lot of times what happened is I couldn't do, I couldn't follow the path that I was on anymore. And so I had to, to like take a break, do some soul searching, ask myself, like, what do you really want to do? Or what, what can you do? What's a better expression of this? And as a result of that, kind of altered my path and got to do some cool things and push in a new direction. And kind of like you were talking about, like that was really good for my growth to not just be doing the same thing, but actually trying lots of different things. Yeah. Similarly, took me a while to, I think, come to terms with the value in that. Like mostly just felt like I was falling behind. Yep. Because, you know, everyone else I knew was is a partner at a big consulting firm making a lot of money. And I'm like kind of going sideways in a lot of different ways, right? But like what what did that i guess feel like for you like how did you how did you reframe it and as you started to reframe it like how did you translate those failures i think into cool new opportunities new things to try like how did you do something positive with that insight which like sounds pretty good but like doesn't pay the bills isn't doesn't help you figure out where to go like how did you actually get there yeah so i think once i was able to separate uh you know my own um self-worth from those failures, um, you know, you're forced to go back out into the job market. And so as you start to interview and tell the story about yourself, you're forced to actually start to string together a story from your past experiences. And that exercise, I realized, um, helped me see patterns in the work that I was doing um, that identified, you know, strengths that I had um, hmm. and things that I enjoyed. That, force, that, that forcing function of having to interview and sell yourself is really valuable because you are forced to see it in a positive light and make sense of it. Yeah. So it didn't seem like a slew of random failures. It actually seemed like, oh, these were the things that I learned and these were the things I learned about myself. Yeah. And so as <clears throat> more of those happened, and like you said, I, I had a, a string of like failures in short order. I was able to be in pretty good practice doing that. Yeah. Um, and after every single experience, tying that ter- together in a personal narrative that started to paint a clearer picture of my own strengths and interests. Does this only work because you were like taking stretch rolls. You were doing things where you were being pushed and you were getting to like either build new skills or, or like discover new skills. Like, is that is that part of the formula? Like, do you have to really be pushing yourself in order to be able to do exactly what you're talking about, which is make sense of it looking backward? Yes, but at the time I wasn't looking f- for stretch things. I, I think, you know, I got lucky with the opportunities that I um, was offered they just happened to stretch me in a different way. You know, like they Mm. were obviously I sought them out because they were interesting and I find new and challenging things interesting, but like I would have taken any job, you know, at at the time. (laughs) I think it's not so deliberate as you're going through it. Um, But when you're looking back, you do realize that 
anytime you have a different experience and you're exposed to different things, it just forces you to reevaluate um, your own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. I remember some conversations we've had over the years where like, you know, one or one of us was doing a job search and, and like saying, okay, like here's kind of like the three paths that I'm interested in. Like it could be kind of like this, could be this other thing, or maybe this other thing is kind of like a long shot. But I think that like there was some, there was some direction, there were some hypotheses to be tested, right? But then, yeah, like for sure there's a, a luck element or just a, the way things materialize and you, you know, you make the most of whatever is actually available when you need a paycheck or it's time to, to take a job, right? Right. Um, what about like, just to finish this thought, so after your landmark experience, change the ways you, you think about some things, like how did you approach those subsequent jobs? And part of the reason I'm asking this is because you've moved into the social sector. Like, I think there's a lot of commonality in terms of the type of role that you have, mm -hmm. but making the jump from the corporate world or the startup world to the social sector in a lot of ways is really different, right? So tell me a little bit about kind of that thought process and how you ended up in, in this current role. I think it's only been in the last couple of years that I stopped worrying that I could find a good job. <laughs> um, you know, that I, I knew that, um, I knew that I had valuable skills and I could find something. Um, and so I was able to start being more thoughtful and deliberate about what it is that I chose to do. And so I think part of what drew me to my current role, um, which is in social impact, is I was still, I was still using you know all of the skills from before. Like I'm still working in product, I'm still building consumer-facing products um, that are based on behavior change. Um, but the idea of applying that kind of product thinking to what's traditionally nonprofit problems was something that I'd never considered. And I realized that when you take the revenue and, and profit element out of the equation, the, go the impact goals of the company are actually very similar to the product goals that you would have. Um, yeah. Whether that's trying to change behavior for the better trying to get people engaged uh, in your app or your website, whatever it is. Um, and so it was actually a much better fit because there was less conflict um, with the um, revenue side of the business. So that was one. Um, and a lot of the other stuff was cultural. You know, for mm -hmm. me, I got to a point in my career where I wanted a leadership role. I wanted a seat at the table I wanted to be with a group of people where I did not have to be the loudest person in the, in the room to be heard. Um, that was going to value my uh, particular brand <laughs> uh, of me, you know, um, of product leader, which is, you know, someone who is not really an order taker um, and sometimes a contrarian. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, the, the rebellious streak in me still lives on. So, <laughs> I, you know, in the right environment, that could be valuable to someone, but it's not always desirable to everyone. And so I, I started yeah. to come to terms with the fact that, you know, the right job opportunity is much more about fit than it is about your strengths and weaknesses. I feel like that's such a great insight. And I, I also feel like that idea of like, I'm not for everyone. Like <laughs> I have my own strengths, my own weaknesses, like, and it's okay that not everyone wants that. I feel like that lives on the other side of failure, right? Like I feel yes. like you have enough failures and then you're like, you have to become okay with that. Mm -hmm. Or you have the opportunity to become okay with that of like, you know what? Like I'm a bit of an acquired taste. I certainly identify with this. <laughs> uh, some people really love it. A lot of people don't. And so the the challenge is figuring out like who is going to like this? Where is where is it the right fit as you mentioned? Right. And then in those spaces like it can be truly magical. It can be a great work environment. You can get a lot of stuff done. It, it it's really really cool. Um but it it takes some maturity or wh whatever some perspective to at least be able to say in those moments like I, I don't I don't want like I'm I'm not I'm not the right person for a lot of jobs. Yeah. And I'm not going to try to convince people. I'm not going to get in the moment, and get like super competitive. Like I'm actually going to say, you know what? Like that's, 
for a whole bunch of reasons, this isn't just the right path for me. Or you'll know that if you actually did get the job, that you would be unhappy there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're quite the contrarian yourself. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> do you do you have uh, memories of you know being in an environment where you know that people did not appreciate your particular brand? Like, what did that feel like? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember probably not unlike you, I remember being, I remember working with a a senior manager at a certain firm who will remain unnamed. And I just remember like two days into working with him, I remember him just saying to me like, Hey, the thing that you need to understand is I'm a senior manager and you're an analyst. (laughs) That was it. That was the whole thing was basically just like, just stop talking, stop, just stop everything. Yeah. And, and that was unfortunately not the only time that that happened, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately, right? Like, and I think what I've come to learn is that, um, that confidence, that willingness to be contrary and like to push people and, and not like intellectually not back down and say like, I I really don't agree with this, um, is like a superpower in some situations and it's a huge liability in others. Right. And it's not something that like you can turn on and off. Like it's a, it's a character feature and flaw at the same time, right? Like it's, it's not a bug. Of, it's not a bug. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it is. And so I think like with, with that in mind, like the best thing I can do is find situations where that's valued, right? Like people will put up with you being a pain in the ass yeah, because it's valued. I, I, um, there's a guy, um, there's a guy I know and he's a, he's a really funny guy and also like huge contrarian. Um, and he's a, he's a stylist. He cuts hair for a living. Right. And, and he was telling me the story about how like he would always show up late. He's having this conversation with his dad and his dad was like, you always show up late, like just show up on time, whatever. And he was like, they're going to fire you eventually. And he was like, I've been showing up late for my entire career. He was like, the moral of the story isn't don't be late. The moral of the story is be so good at what you do that people won't fire you if you show up <laughs> late and if you're a pain in the ass to work with, right? And like, I think obviously you have to be able to back it up and 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 sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But I think if you're going to be difficult, if you have those things, like finding the right environment where that's valued is amazing. But then also just realizing too, like, that's part of who you are and it's okay. It's okay that not everyone wants to deal with a 22 year old who has big ideas. Like some people just want to get the work done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I, I think it took us, it took us a while to learn that. Um, you know, we, we certainly had to temper that over the years. I remember in business school, one of the best pieces of feedback I got was from, uh, a, a fellow classmate, um, who was on a group project with me. And he said, Jenny, Sometimes you rebel just for the sake of rebelling. <laughs> and he was so exasperated by it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 I got it and it, it stuck with me and it showed me that when I was in the wrong environment mm-hmm. and it was a bad fit or I was going through something then all of these, you know, features, flaws will turn into flaws. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's amazing what finding the right fit and being at the right company will do to turn those flaws into advantages for you. You know, Um, that took a long time to learn that I, I didn't just have to temper my flaws, but they could flourish in different environments. Well, and I feel like that's such a great insight too, as a manager or a leader in an organization to realize that like, okay, this person's like not getting it done or they're really difficult. Like rather than just saying this person's not good, which is what most people would do. Like you can take the insight that you have and say, actually like, okay, like maybe this isn't the right context. Maybe we're not giving this person the right work or supporting them in the right way. Like how do we unlock this? And it's obviously hard to do. And you know, a lot of times you don't have the patience or the time to do it. But um, I feel like for me, that's been like a really great insight just that like this was my lived experience. I saw the good and the bad of it. And, and it's probably true for a lot of other people as well. And so if you can be a little more patient, you can be a little more thoughtful than, than actually like there, there's a lot more, I think, potential out there in people than maybe sometimes seems like it. Yeah. I mean, I think we started out in careers where there was not a lot of that empathetic managing. Yeah. And that's made me really strive for that. My entire career is, how can I, how can I be something different? Um, and 
because I I'm sure you feel this way. Like the the one or two really good managers that you've had have made such a difference in our careers yeah. and in our lives. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about mentorship because so I sort of mentioned this at the outset, but you were a year ahead of me. And you were on my first project. And it was like, in the realm of projects, we were doing a, a target screening, like an M&A project. And that was a, a pretty intense project. And it wasn't something that our organization had done a lot of at the time. So we were kind of like, kind of figuring making it out it as we went, right? Yeah, <laughs> making it up. Uh, and so so for, for me to be in that situation with you, like you were, in some ways, you you also knew nothing, but you had a year of experience, which meant you knew everything compared to what I knew at the time. And that was incredibly helpful, like to have a, a mentor and someone who like would be patient with you and could, I think, appreciate like that there was something other than me being a pain in the ass that was worth like trying to, to support and nurture. That made all the difference for me. I'm curious for you, have there been people in your career that have helped you to flourish, helped you to figure out who you are, helped you to do good work that wouldn't have been possible without them? Yeah, um, there's definitely, I think, we were lucky at Deloitte. There were a lot of people who, um, peers of ours who were very open and supportive. I think that is, yeah. that is a great positive cultural point at Deloitte. Um, you know, I really see the, the, the two, the only two good managers that I've had in my life. One of them was, you know, uh, during our experience as really the, as, as really the people who, paved the way for me. It was so validating um, because it was all the things that we, I think, were fighting against, meaning being contrarians, wanting to do more than our title was supposed to allow us, you know, having ideas, having different ideas and, you know, wanting to learn and having those managers really believe in us, believe in me gave me the confidence to really believe that those were, those were strengths of mine that, mm -hmm. you know, that I, I wasn't just a big pain in the ass to everybody. And as a result, I worked much harder for them. I learned much more. And I think about that every time I'm a manager. Yeah, it's hard. Like I, I wouldn't want someone who's listening to this to feel like the takeaway is like bounce around, do lots of things. Don't worry about failing. Like, I think that that's true to some extent. Um, but there, the, the, one of the things that is valuable, one of the reasons that, that I think that's not the worst advice that you could give someone is because a lot of times I think people like don't have the experience that you're talking about, like either having like a work spouse, a peer who's like really helpful or a legitimate mentor, someone who's, who's managing you and is just like a great manager. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I think like if you either never had that experience or have had it very infrequently, and I think that is rare, like that that match, that dyad is pretty rare out in the wild. But that's like one of the arguments, I think, for moving around, yeah. whether it's within your company, whether it's moving across companies and certainly looking for it in the interview process, in the evaluation process, like because that is that is such a game changer. Yeah. Like, like I said, like I said, I mean, for me, that made me so much more successful and set me on a really different path as a, a new analyst. And I've had a couple of those experiences later on as well. And like. I think that's a feature of, of just having more at bats and more opportunities for that to happen. Yeah. I think, you know, I wish, I wish I could say that I have had more mentors, but I, I think it, part of it is, um, it is harder, you know, for people who are less privileged. So like, I think you mm. and I had really privileged opportunities and, and careers so far. Um, but for those who don't have those opportunities, there's so much more work and clawing that has to happen for them to find those people that are going to be their champions or find those people who are going to be their mentors. Um, and even for me, I, I, I try to, you know, take note of the females on my team, the people of color on my team and, and make sure to, um, understand what their specific needs are because a lot of times like it's, it's just, you just get used to not having that help. So yeah. I think, um, I think if more people could expect that or could, could know that that really makes a difference, um, and have those opportunities, you know, it would be, it would be amazing. I think that's a great point. And I think the other thing is, is that you and I are really lucky in terms of the, the type of work that we do, like as knowledge workers, as people who have relatively in demand skills, who've had the 
means, ability, aptitude, et cetera, to like make some investments in our own talent over the years. Yep. You know, it's easier to bounce back. It's easier to go and be a freelancer for a period of time in between gigs. Like it's easier to do all these things that are super hard if you're not in that position. Right. And so, um, there is a context to all of this, which is like definitely privileged and definitely not broadly applicable as, or as much as we might like it to be. Um, but you know, I think, I think it's helpful to say that I think probably can't underestimate how important that is to the conversation. Absolutely. Um, I know we're, we're starting to wind down, but I, I want to ask, you know, what are you, what are you most afraid of still in your career? You know, like, what are you afraid of failing at? That's a really good question. I think, I think I was a lot more concerned about people's perceptions of me and like my quote unquote success earlier in my career. I think as I've flamed out a bunch, like I just sort of like you kind of had to get over that. Of like, yeah, like that's me. Like that's like I've, I'm not in the same place as a lot of other people are, or like I just haven't been able to do certain things. And so I've I've been I think lucky to get over that and get over that relatively early in my career, actually. Um, but what I struggle with is like I have an internal bar or meter around impact, and so you know if I'm doing a workshop with folks and we're talking about resilience or we're talking about something, and like I felt like it was okay, that bothers me a lot. Right. Like if I feel like I didn't, it wasn't a great use of people's time or like more importantly, if it was like, Hey, this is a great session, but like I didn't change someone's life. Right. Right. Which is a totally ridiculous standard to have. But like that sort of is, that's like what I think keeps me going in both a really good way and a really bad way. Yeah. One thing I have always admired about you is, you know, I think you realize that you, if you wanted to do something different, if you wanted to take an alternative path. Um, you really did have to commit full time to it, you know, Um, like I think we've had conversations about could this be a side hustle? You know, could you have the safe corporate gig and still work on this on the side? And, you know, I think you were brave enough to take the leap and say, no, I I think this can only work if I really commit to it. And so, uh, you know, that is that is taking a risk that a lot of people wouldn't take. But I think it's self-awareness, um, that you as someone who splits your attention could not be successful. Yeah. And I think that's, I appreciate you calling that out. And I think that's like, that's one of those things that you can only really know through experience and through knowing yourself, right. And some period of self-reflection, because I think what I'm really good at is going deep on something like that's the core consulting skill set is, you know, nothing about something and you're expected within a week to know a good amount about it. And then in three months to know a lot about it. And then you move on and you do something completely different and you start over. Right. And like that, that's something that I do reasonably well. Um, and I can do it well because I can focus and I can go deep and like, I can commit to that, but I'm really bad at spreading my time across a lot of different things. And so as I've like accepted that, then it's easier to say, you know what, like if I want to go and do this, this is kind of what it has to look like because what might work for someone else is just, it's just not going to work for me. Um, and I think again, like, I think that's part of the maturity or that's part of the, the experience of just being able to say, you know what, like it's not good or bad. It's just kind of how it is. And so let me work around that. Exactly. And I think, but it, as a result of that, I think you have to accept, you know, okay, well, things are going to move a little slower or, you know, I might not have the stable income for a while, or I don't know yeah. where this is going to go. And I think all of that has, you know, really I think helps develop this muscle of like, I have to be okay with that risk. And, you know, it actually feels more like me, even if it does feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I think one thing, one thing I would just close on, which is weird because this is, I'm interviewing you, but I'll just, I'll add this to close, um, is that I feel like, I feel like the message here isn't, this is what worked for Jenny. And so it'll work for you, or this is what works for me. And so it'll work for you. It's more like, I think what works really well is getting to know yourself. And if you're, if you're struggling to know yourself, like go and get the experiences that'll help you get to know yourself and then figure out what your path should look like. Right. right? And so if that looks like what you and I are talking about, if it means really going deep on something or saving your pennies so that you can go all in, like, great, that's one approach. If it means having a side hustle or it means dabbling or running small experiments or whatever, like that is perfectly valid. It's just depends on who you are and what it is that you, you most need or what works best for you. Yeah. I think the underlying thing here is, um, 
and most people know this is, is failing gives you many more learnings than success does. Um, and if you decide to pay attention to that, I think you get to a place where you hopefully will know yourself much better and maybe mitigate some of those failures. Um, but it's true. I think, you know, someone who's been at the same place their, their whole career or who's been potentially wildly successful on the first try, you know, I think the research shows that, you know, their subsequent ventures might not work out because there's mm-hmm. a lot of learnings that I think were probably better attributed to luck. So, yeah, you know, so having a, a <laughs> multiple failures uh, and a lot of time to reflect on them is is a great way to just learn about yourself in a condensed period of time. So if we're, if we're trying to come full circle here, the initial quote was that if you're not failing 90% of the time, you're not trying hard enough. I wonder if it's more like if you're not failing most of the time or 90% of the time, like you're not learning enough. You're not actually getting enough insight because I think as you were saying, like you just, you learn so much more in those moments about what doesn't work and what could work in the future than when it's smooth sailing and you're just kind of riding it. Yeah. I think once you take the, the ego out of it and, you know, the, the, you know, bad feelings out of it, um, what you're really left with is, is a lot of good learnings and it just, it takes, it takes you failing a bunch of times and knowing that, guess what? After every one of those times I got back up to know that like, I'm actually not afraid of it anymore, you know? And so now let me just learn from it. Jenny, this was an awesome conversation. I'm, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you being vulnerable, sharing this, um, sharing kind of the, the whole, the whole journey. Like, I, I hope it's helpful for other f- people just to hear about the fact that like someone who's super successful and has done a ton of really cool things has done that on basically the backs of many, many different failures and, but has found a way to, to do it, uh, that's authentic to you. And that has ultimately resulted in you failing forward, which is kind of amazing. So good, good for you. And thanks for being willing to share it. Thank you. And thanks for being there for me through a lot of it. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If this was your first time listening to Reinvented, be sure to click the subscribe button now. If you've been enjoying the show for a while, don't forget to leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone that would love this episode, take a moment to spread the word. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.